We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Jack Ramsey's Danny Morang. No Brandon Sprague because he's an idiot and can't take a look at his schedule. I'm here with Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, who was kind enough to join us. Feeling under the weather, we are going to dive uh, headfirst into some NBA draft coverage. We are now less than two weeks away from the NBA draft lottery. Uh, Portland's futures kind of tied up on that, obviously, more than just a little bit, particularly after losing the Pelicans lottery pick. They only get one bite at the apple, so to speak. But, Ricky, thank you for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Let's kind of let's let's get into the uh, <laughs> the chat is already letting me know that that's not Brandon. No, no, this is a guy a lot smarter about basketball than Brandon. Um, I can take shots at him because he's not here. Uh, but the Portland Trailblazers are, are in obviously a strange position. It's been very interesting, at least for me, to see some of the mock drafts from from folks. Um, I've seen some uh, at ESPN that say oh, the Blazers are are doing going through a hard reset. And they they should take a look at getting uh, some younger players. And I'm like, they're, they're not going through a hard reset. They have Damian Lillard, Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, and Justice Winslow and Josh Hart. That, this isn't the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, when you look at this Blazers team right now and you're evaluating for them for the draft, albeit we're still waiting on the draft lottery, what do you look at this team and go, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to pose that question to you <laughs> just to get the expert opinion coming off it. But I guess from my perspective, you got Lillard, what is he, 31, 32, 31, 32. Yeah. Uh, so he's absolutely in, you know, probably the the meat and potatoes of his prime, mm-hmm. if not, you know, the start of the downslope of his prime. They make the big move to break up the Lillard-McCollum pairing. Uh, so now basically you have the Blazers in a spot where I pulled up their offensive and defensive efficiency. They were 27th in offense, 30th in defense. You have Lillard, but Nurkic, UFA, correct? RFA. RFA. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. UFA, bird rights, my mistake. UFA, bird rights, right. And then Simons, RFA. RFA. You figure Simons is going to be around for a while. Nurkic seems a little bit more up in the air to me. Josh Hart is a nice piece you can have on the wing. Not doesn't have like ideal wing size to me, but plays both ends of the floor is sort of the type of guy I think Portland needed for a long time back when they were going to the Western conference finals. But to me, I look at Portland and I see mostly a blank slate with a superstar over 30. I think that you got to just go 
best player available in this draft. And that's a good thing for Portland because all the best players in this draft are bigs. Essentially, you're not going to take a, you know, your point guard of the future in this draft, even though Lillard's 31 years old. This is not a strong draft for point guards. The the talent in this draft lies in the four or five positions. And I think that's great news for Portland. They've needed, uh, you know, stability on the wing, certainly for years. And even in the front court, I know that they've cycled through a lot of guys. Nurkic has had a good career there. Uh, but I think just the fact that, you know, if Portland lands in the top six of this draft, top seven, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. save for Jaden Ivey, the rest of those guys, I think, would all be relatively good fits on this roster. Uh, if I'm Portland, I'm not worrying too much about a specific position or about even about really how they pair with Lillard. Because I think a lot of these guys are going to pair pretty well with Lillard. It's to hard me, not to, to be the best player. You got to take the best player because, you know, you're drafting an 18 or 19 year old in 2022. You know, you can't put too much on their shoulders for the first year or two. You got to think who's going to be the best prospect in the long term. Uh, so I think you just, you know, if you're Portland, you just take the guy who you think is the overall best prospect available. I think there's a couple things that I want to touch on there that I, I, I wanted to highlight. One, talking about the the, the wings and, and the front court. That's obviously something Portland obviously hasn't done very well. They've done they they were a potent offense with Lillard and McCollum. There's there's no doubt about that. They're consistently in the top four, top three every year. Uh, those guys can score. Uh, their their pick and roll game, their isolation game. They they were able to do uh, miraculous things in the regular season and and even more so in the in the uh, playoffs in particular instances. Obviously, the, not this past season, but the year before that. Uh, Everyone outside of Damian Lillard looked like a dumpster fire against Denver in the opening round of the series, and that was kind of what preceded this thing kind of falling apart. Uh, former general manager Neil O'Shea decided to run it back against the grain, uh, uh, crashed and burned, and that's kind of where we are now. But I, I think that's where everybody remembers. But I think the other thing that nobody really tends to highlight is that the Portland Trailblazers haven't replaced Nick Batum and LaMarcus Aldridge since 2015. They, they have not had anybody in those two positions to replicate and do the things that made this team very good. Before Wesley Matthews went down with an Achilles rupture, that was a team that was, that was a, you could chalk it up, that that team going to the Western Conference Finals made sense. Like, that was a team that was going to be very good. The team in 2019 that kind of stumbled into the Western Conference Finals did not kind of stand up to the light of that 2015 team. And I think they're, they're trying to get back to more of that version of basketball where they had more length, they had more size, they had more athleticism, more strength. And you can see that in some of the guys that they brought in. And even even the guys that they, fought, they, they brought in to finish the season, the back end of the roster, uh, tank fest guys, like a, a Drew Eubanks. He's a great third center. Like I'm not talking about a guy who's going to play every single night, but if you had to break glass in case of emergency, Drew Eubanks is a capable player. You find Trendon Watford being a capable player. Anthony Simons, you look at and you go, well, you know, he only played, you know, limited time uh, after the, you know, before they shut him down, but he had one of the best pick and roll efficiencies, pick and roll efficiencies in the entire NBA, and he was the third or fourth best spot up shooter. Shooter. So you've got these things that kind of build off of alongside Lillard, alongside Nurkic, and you're looking at this draft right now. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting, and for those that want to know, Ricky's got a uh, a mock draft up from the beginning of April right now, and he's toying with the idea of doing one before the lottery, so I'm going to tease that a little bit. Otherwise, he'll have one up after the lottery, which is what I think uh, I will be doing <laughs> because I am not brave enough to do it twice. One of the things I found interesting, Ricky, is in your mock, and I want to ask you this, did you mock this based on teams or did you mock this based on talent? I believe the majority of that mock without having it up in front of me is 
based off my personal board. Your one, two, three. Okay, so this yeah. is your actual big board, so to speak. You have yeah. Paolo one, Chet yeah. two, and Jabari three. And I think you're one of the only people I've seen with Jabari three. Is that more that you believe in Paolo and Chet or less of uh, Jabari's high-end profile? I'd say it's a combination of both. Okay. I think in general, I did have in that mock draft that I have those three plus Jaden Ivey all in tier one, mm-hmm. which that's also super unusual. I think that most people probably put, you know, one, two prospects in the top tier. To me, evaluating this class, I could see a world where any of those guys ends up as the best prospect in this draft, and I'm not shocked. So when I say I put Jabari three, it's not that I think Jabari is like head and shoulders lower than Paolo and Chet. I've had Paolo and Chet as the top two prospects in the draft uh, since every year I'll, I'll run a mock draft for the next season after the current draft. Mm-hmm. So since that like day after 2021 mock draft, I had Paolo and Chet number one, number one and number two. I didn't see enough uh, from anyone else to dissuade me from, you know, moving those guys around. So, yeah, I've I've had Paolo number one the entire season. I've had Chet number two the entire season. And then Jabari, I think preseason, I had him around like seven or something. Obviously, he had a phenomenal freshman year for Auburn, moved him up the order. Uh, I'm keeping him at three. So I guess if I wanted to, if you want to go into like why I had Jabari at three, uh, I do well, this as a framing that, for the Blazers because the Blazers, I think, are leaning pretty heavily towards. If they were getting a number one overall pick, they're leaning leaning towards Paolo and Jabari. Paolo and Jabari, yes, interesting, very interesting. Uh, so I guess, like, why I have Jabari three? I think Jabari's awesome, to be clear, and I think that there's certainly a, a good chance he ends up as the best overall prospect in this draft class 10, 15 years from now based on, you know, team context and skill development. All of these guys have a few things in their game that are going to be swing factors to determine their long-term outlook and how good they're going to be as NBA players. So for Jabari, a couple of things I'm looking at. Uh, the, the thing you'll hear from, from most analysts about Jabari is that he just wasn't a very good scorer inside the arc. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe he shot 43% yeah. from two-point range. It was like, four, like was, 42.8, I think is what it was. He, he was not particularly potent going to the basket. Uh, that shows up on the tape uh, very often when you watch him. I don't think he's a particularly explosive leaper uh, going to the hoop. And, you know, really, it's he's sort of like a 6'10 guy who plays like he's 6'5". Now you can use that as a compliment, like, oh my God, how many 6'10 guys have the movement shooting ability that Jabari Smith has? How many 6'10 guys are within scoring range as soon as they step into the gym? To me though, if you're going to be six foot 10, you got to put a little bit more pressure on the basket. You got to be able to leverage your size a little bit. How can that happen for Jabari Smith? Number one, I think it's just improving his handle. Uh, to me, Jabari Smith is very reliant on other players setting him up offensively. Now, Portland could be a particularly good destination <laughs> yes. for him because you have Damian Lillard there. And I think, you know, the, the strengths in Jabari's game are going to translate from day one. He's yeah. going to be able to shoot from the NBA line on high volume, high efficiency from the moment he's drafted in the league. Now, I do not think that Jabari would be a good pick for a franchise looking for an A1 option if they land the number one pick, Mm -hmm. right? To me, I see a guy who is probably a number two option uh, as he develops long-term. Sure. You know what, man? I kind of think that about all these guys. As much as I like Paolo, you know, he might ultimately profile as a number two option. 
Chet offensively could be your third or fourth option, maybe your second best player, depending on, you know, just how elite his defense is and mm-hmm. like in what sort of ways it's elite. And then you got Jabari, who I think, you know, for all his strengths, he struggles to create offense off the bounce right now. Now, perhaps he will take a big leap with his handle that'll allow him to create more separation. He can be a guy where you could just sort of like throw it to him and create a bucket. Right now, he's not that guy. And I think you saw that in Auburn's tournament run and down the stretch for Auburn when, you know, this season they hit number one in the AP poll for the first time in program history. But they were a team a lot of people, including myself, thought was a paper tiger going into the tournament. And, you know, you saw it in their tournament loss that when they got down, it's not that it's like you want to say, okay, Jabari's got to go into takeover mode right now to try to save the offense uh, and get the team back in position to win the game. But Jabari's not even really capable of going into takeover mode because he just doesn't create easy offensive opportunities for himself. So if I was going to say, why do you have Jabari Smith three? Uh, And I've really gone back and forth on Smith versus Ivy. So I might end up with Jabari at four. And that would probably be significantly lower than the consensus, Mm -hmm. but still tier one. Like, I still think Jabari's an awesome prospect. He's head and shoulders above five, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really do like the top four prospects in this class. So uh, mostly the concern with Jabari is just the ability to create his own offense off the bounce. But when you got Damian Lillard in Portland, if they end up with Jabari Smith, I think that is a really good fit, not only for Portland, but for Jabari himself. Yeah, when you look at Jabari's game, I think it's kind of tailor-made to play alongside a starting lineup of Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, and insert forward here. Uh, he's going to be a, a floor spacer who's available to, to play help side defense. And that's the one of the things we, the, the scouting report on Jabari always starts with offense, 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 because he's six foot 10 with a ratchet. I mean, that's, let's be honest. The, the, the guy can absolutely, anytime I, I, I start watching film on Jabari, I go back to the, the second Arkansas game and there's a possession of the shot clock's winding down. And he's at the top of the key and he just breaks three guys off of the step back fade away over two goods. And it just cans it. And it's, you're sitting there like, Six foot ten guys aren't supposed to be able to do that. And again, we're not talking about like shot creation platform as far as like breaking a guy down off the dribble, but getting into that step back and shooting over the top of anybody he wants to. That's an insane thing to be able to do right out of the gate. But defensively, when you look at him, when I watch him play at least, I see a guy who, while not the most explosive athlete as we've talked about, I see a guy who moves his hips and kind of glides around defensively. Not effortlessly. We're not talking about like prime Iguodala sliding up to the four here. But I see a guy who can easily play in a switchable scheme, which is what Chauncey Bubbs wants to be able to do, to be able to, to scheme up and to scheme down and not be afraid to have him on an island. I know rookies struggle. I know every now and then an Evan Mobley comes across who's a defensive player of the year out of, you know, right out of the gate. Jabari's not that, but when you look at his defense and how impactful he could be, where does he stack up with the other guys when you compare him to Chet and obviously Paolo? Yeah, so my first question is, can Jabari play the five? In the lead. My initial response to that is probably not. I don't think that's the best use of his skill. So to me, and you mentioned it, I think that, you know, ideally the type of defense he's a perfect fit for is something where you're switching one to four and then you have a, a five next to him who's a pretty good rim protector and someone who would lock down the paint. Uh, in that type of scheme, I think Jabari could be very good because 
He is very strong on his feet defensively on the perimeter. You're not going to juke Jabari Smith out of his shoes, make him fall over. Chet Holmgren, who's a really good prospect, there's some there's some clips on his tape of him getting put on the floor when he's trying to defend the perimeter against smaller, quicker guards. I think Jabari's really good against those smaller, quicker guards. And uh, I, I certainly think that, you know, if I'm evaluating his defense, I think his ability to hold his own on the perimeter is probably – his best attribute defensively and maybe his second best attribute overall as a prospect outside mm-hmm. of the shooting. I do think he's really good defending the perimeter and the game is more and more played on the perimeter. So I think that that is certainly a boon for him. Uh, I would not put him at the five, uh, especially not yet. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously 220 pounds, pretty good frame. I what do you have a wingspan measurement on him? Oh, uh, I, I did, but I, I actually closed it. I, I I believe he's seven one. If I'm if I'm seven going one, off my so, memory, yeah. So he's gonna be. A, he, he's he's not like he's not like a plus four, plus five guy. I think he's a plus three. Yeah. So the length not ideal to play the five. I also think he's got a little bit of a high center of gravity. Like I worry that high hips, shorter, shorter, stouter, stronger player could potentially even like put him in the basket a little bit defensively. I think he could struggle a bit to defend the post, but on the perimeter, he's really good defensively. Uh, so I expect him to be above average NBA defensive player. There's no doubt about it. If I was comparing him to Bancaro and Holmgren, I would say Holmgren's the top defensive prospect. And then I'd put Jabari over Paolo. The question is by how much? Yeah. And I think that's, that's uh, I would the say, I would say I'd put him there by one or two notches. I don't think it's a blowout in favor mm-hmm. of Jabari's defense over Paolo's defense, but I think that, uh, you'd probably rather have what like the stuff Jabari does well defensively is it just like translates easier to a team scheme than the stuff that uh, Paolo can do defensively. So Jabari, good defensive prospect, no doubt uh, for a Blazers team that has not had a lot of two way players, hasn't had a lot of two way players with size yes. over the last, you know, eight, nine years. Uh, he'd be a good addition for sure. When you're looking at those, the, the, the three bigs really on the top of the draft here, uh, as much as I love, I love Jaden Ivey, and I do, Portland is just—it's—it's it's hard for me to talk about Jaden Ivey when you've got when you've gone from Damon CJ to now Damon Anthony, and now the idea that you would add Jaden Ivey to this team. So I kind of gloss over him as much as I don't want to because I, I love his game. But when you're looking at these three bigs and you're evaluating them and you're watching tape on these guys, what are the the micro skills that pop off the film for you for any one of those guys that you just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how that'll translate or. Um, hey, that's kind of an issue or something you're just like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like what's, what's a little like a little bit of a micro skill outside of the the big top lying stuff that everybody always talks about from those three guys that you're intrigued about. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Hmm. Putting me on the spot here. Let me think about that, though. I should know that. So, you know, one thing I'll say is Holmgren in transition. Mm. Holmgren's ability to grab and go in transition and then just fire the transition three, Mm. I think, is pretty underrated and something that makes him a more viable threat on offense. He's not someone who needs to grab the rebound and then freak out immediately, immediately get it to the guard. Mm. He's been handling the ball. Uh, you know, bring the ball up as a point guard, even dating back to his high school days after Jalen Suggs who was a year older than him at Minnehaha Academy in Minneapolis. After he went to Gonzaga, that senior year, uh, Holmgren was, you know, bringing the ball up against pressure as, as a point guard, despite being, you know, a seven footer and nominal center. So his ability to do that, I think is, is uh, pretty interesting and, uh, you know, should help unlock him a little bit in terms of Paolo. I think, you know, one thing Paolo has is just, I, I don't want to get too obvious here, but uh, I'd say the ability to create separation in the mid range. Like mm. when Paolo gets in that triple threat stance and he's hitting you with the jab steps, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that's ball holding. The offense should flow better when you're, you know, one of your focal points is making quicker decisions. But uh, I think we see in the postseason almost every year that a really good mid-range shooter is a tough weapon to defend, especially when you're 6'10", 250. With Paolo, I worry a little bit more about the evolution of his three-point shot uh, and just like speeding up the decision-making process for him, I would say, more so than like, oh, he's going to be a little too mid-range heavy. I remember when Jason Tatum was in the draft, I thought Jason Tatum's game was a little too mid-range heavy. Well, as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old gets a little bit older, uh, those 18-foot shots sometimes end up being, you know, 28 foot shots in Tatum's case. So I think Paolo's ability to just like operate from basically any spot on the floor and utilize his strength or his skill, depending on the matchup, Mm -hmm. is sort of what jumps out about him. Uh, And then Jabari, I don't have a good one off the top of my head. Do do you have anything that jumps out to you in terms of a micro skill for Jabari? For me, it's just his space creation. Even with a limited handle that kind of projects forward as far as this could be something that you can translate his game in. Um, I've always thought that it's been funny that, you know, uh, fans in general think that you just work in the gym. You can add a skill that's successful in the NBA. It's 
just that's not true. <laughs> Most guys can't add to their bag to where they develop an entire new skill set. It's very, very rare that a guy that comes in with an entirely weak handle all of a sudden has a premier handle. Um, one of the guys, obviously, here in Portland, Anthony Simons, you know, I've had him here since he was a rookie year and I kind of watched him as he's grown up. Uh, he, him and I talked over the years about developing his handle and an ability to tighten it up. And he was projected with this whole idea of um, being a backup point guard two years ago, and he fell short because a lot of it had to do with his handle just wasn't good enough. And he he lived in the gym and got his handle right. And all of a sudden, he was basically he was not basically he was running the team with Damian Lillard down, and he was doing it with an efficiency that nobody. I had him on the show, and I said, man, I. I, I didn't see your handle getting this good. Like I knew you put in the work and all this. And he said, it's funny, man. My dad said the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's like nobody, nobody saw that, that, that kind of growth coming. But when I look at those, like, again, those little micro skills, like when Ant was a kid, when he first got in the NBA, the first thing I said is, I know he can get his shot off against anybody in the NBA. I don't know what he's going to turn into beyond that. I look at Jabari and I go, that guy can create space to get his shot off with his size against anybody in the NBA. Does he have enough wiggle to make it to where he goes from, you know, a spot up big who's lethal to turning into a Rashard Lewis kind of player. Because I think I've seen a lot of people compare him to Rashard, and I'm like, I don't know, is, isn't he more like, I don't want to use like Robert Ori because I'm, that's, that's kind of the, the wrong archetype, but that's the first one that kind of comes in my, in my mind when you're just talking about a, a dead eye guy right out of college who's just going to knock down shots for you and, and play well because I think he's more athletic. But that's the thing that I, I look at. Uh, a Jabari and I just think even if his handle's raw right now and he needs to show that that additional creation I think there's some wiggle in him because he's not stiff hipped even if he is high high hipped that he can create just enough but like Kevin Durant does not have an elite handle you don't need to have a handle that's just out of this world when you're that big I would say Kevin Durant has developed something pretty close to an elite handle and you know ball handling is one of the toughest things to develop to me yeah. anytime you got a six seven six eight six nine wing that's a entering long, the league that's a long the dribble first, man <laughs> the first thing you say is well they got to develop their handle it was the first thing on the scouting report for andrew yep. wiggins in 2014 it was the first thing on the scouting report for jalen brown uh so you know that's that's common i thought of another one talking about micro skills this one's for paulo mm. i'm gonna say his high low passing i thought his high low passing was excellent uh it showed know, up more in the tournament it was great in the tournament. Yeah. And, you know, there was flashes there uh, throughout the regular season as well with his pairing with Mark Williams mm -hmm. and Mark Williams is going to be another guy who, you know, potentially a late lottery pick in this draft, otherwise should be a first round pick. And I think having a lob threat next to Paolo, Paolo was super good at finding him from a variety of different angles. Part of that is because Paolo six foot 10, he can see, over the, top, yeah. see over the top of any defender. And then, you know, to, to put it back to the handle, I don't know how many dudes who are six foot ten have a better handle than Paolo. And that's one of the reasons I have him number one in this class. Now you could say, you know, where's the growth in his game, right? Like if Jabari really has significant handle development, you know, if you know, where does that put him as a prospect compared to like where's Paolo really going to improve skill-wise? For Paolo, it would be as an outside shooter, as a floor spacer. Uh, as a pull-up shooter, just shooting with range would sort of be Paolo's swing skill. But Paolo already has a gigantic frame, really good ball handling ability, mm -hmm. 
really good passing ability. And if we're talking about micro skills, which would be, you know, the small things that add up to a great yes. player, I think it's a great question. I wasn't really prepared to answer it. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but thinking about it a little bit more now, the high-low passing of Paolo mm -hmm. is something that uh, has stood out to me throughout his freshman season. The stuff that unlocks guys. That's honestly, I like, as, as weird as it is, I love watching the NBA. Inside the NBA, the thing that I love most is watching young players develop and showcasing those micro skills because to get on the floor in the NBA, you have to have one bankable skill that you can count on. Then you can showcase those micro skills. Like uh, for Portland this year, because of all the injuries, because of guys shut down, Trent and Watford started to show a little bit before they, they shut everybody down. Like there's a little bit of playmaking there. All of a sudden he's, uh, you know, doing some things defensively, playing a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden he gets five minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 14 minutes. He starts showing this floater. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You're six foot eight and you're kind of ground bound, but you're hitting floaters at a rate that's commensurate with like some of the best guys in the NBA. But he got on the floor because he played smart, heady defense. He boxed out. He played within the scheme. He was switchable. He was smart. But he got to show this little thing where it's like, yeah, I can't get at the rim and, and like punish guys physically, but I'm quicker than bigs and I'm bigger than smalls and I can get to this in-between spot and, and showcase this little skill. And I can show you that even though I'm not this normal archetype, I can be a useful player and this is how I can do it. I love watching that kind of stuff. So I always like when I look at prospects, it's kind of one of the things I want to evaluate. And as much as I, it's everybody wants to talk about the, the guys at the top, the guys at the top, the guys at the top. The Blazers have a 37.4 or 37.2% chance of landing in the top four. Almost a coin toss. The more likely scenario is that they land outside the top four and they're picking six, seven, eight. When you're looking at that group, when I looked at your mock draft a couple days ago, I, I was like, okay, yeah, Paolo, Chet, Jabari, he's got them in a little bit different order than Jaden. Then you went A.J. Griffin, which I think is a little bit higher than, than some of the consensus. And then you had Jalen. You have Jalen Duran going to Portland in your mock at number six, and at number seven you have Shaden Sharp. Now, I AJ and Shaden I have in that next group. I watch Jalen play in person. There are things about him that I really like. There are things about him as a big that I really don't like. What is it about Jalen that you you have him higher? I think than than most folks. I think if he's consensus, I think he's like ten or eleven right now. Um, what is it about Jalen that makes you? push him up the board significantly so above a guy like Mark Williams. Yeah. So I would say it's a combination of uh, youth, physical tools, and just general upside mm -hmm. is kind of what I see with both Griffin and Jalen Duran. And I'll also throw Sharp in that group. To me, that's tier two of this draft. Mm -hmm. If I'm putting the four guys in tier one, including Jaden Ivey with three bigs, my tier two of this draft is Griffin, Sharp, and Duran. And all of those guys, what they have in common is youth, physical tools, and upside. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are safer players in this draft. You go with someone like Keegan Murray. You could really, you know, you can debate all this either way. Mm. Sort of the book on Murray is that maybe he's a little bit of a lower ceiling pick, but a higher floor pick. Sure. Someone who could slot in, be 12-year pro in a valuable position, provide a lot of shooting, enough defense. Does a lot of things. Just, just be good. Yeah. He's just going to be a solid NBA player. Is Keegan Murray going to be a star? I'm not sure. And I think that, those three guys, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Duran, Shaden Sharp, 
just have higher ceilings, a little bit more star upside. So to go into Duran first, I guess, uh, first of all, youngest player in the draft. By I a lot. I think Jabari yeah. is the only other one who's even relatively close. His birthday is November 18th. He, of course, was a late reclassification to essentially skip his senior year mm -hmm. of high school, go to the league. That's not rare for elite NBA prospects. RJ Barrett did it. Andrew Wiggins did it. Blazers legend Noah Vonley did it. Uh, all those guys were former McDonald's All-Americans, five-star recruits in high school, who former Bulls legend as well, uh, who jumped up and you know entered college early. And essentially they do that because those guys don't need another year of high school ball. And more importantly, want to get the clock started on when they can get in the, the NBA, next contract, get yeah. their second contract in the NBA. Still be young when they do that. So super young Jalen Durr. Love his frame. I want to see how tall he is because I think that that's like a point of debate. Because he's, he's listed at 6'10". He looks more DeAndre Jordan 6'9 to me. 6'9", 6'10", yeah, so not like super elite height, mm -hmm. but length is off the charts. I believe yes. he's like a 7'5", seven, 7'6". Seven, yeah, he's, he's a plus, I think guy. he's a plus 7 guy, if I'm not mistaken. He was and dumb long. The word to describe him that you will hear from many people, and it's an obvious one, it's just man-child. Yeah, he's 7'5". Very physically developed mm -hmm. and strong as hell while being one of the youngest players in college hoops last year, I think his strength translates to the NBA almost immediately. I don't think you're going to be seeing people bully Jalen Duran inside, even if he's an inch or two shorter than you ideally want for a center, even if he's going to be, I think, the youngest player in the NBA next year. Uh, I think he's going to be able to compete physically from day one. He's got Which is rare arm. at that size. Absolutely. Oh, I'm sorry, at that age. He's got the super long arms. He's got the jacked frame he does not have a high center of gravity i think he's going to be able to hold up in the post i think he can move his feet well defensively so the reason i have him and you know this is all open to interpretation mm -hmm. someone else could watch the tape of him and give a different evaluation of him i would say he is coverage versatile in terms of being a center i think you can play him in a drop and he does a pretty good job of playing two at the same time mm -hmm. in a drop scheme. I think that he has the length to contest a pull-up jumper uh, when he's playing in the drop. He can close space quickly step because uh, he has super long arms. He can step up. He's a quick leaper, quick off the floor as a leaper. I think you can play him at the level of the screen because he's pretty quick. It's pretty fast. Like he's not as strong on the perimeter as Jabari Smith, mm -hmm. uh, but he's, he's pretty strong on the perimeter for a guy. He's also 40 pounds heavier. I was going to say, yeah, for a guy who's 30, 40 pounds heavier and has a seven, five, seven, six wingspan. Yeah. So I like the, the, the idea with him reminds me a little bit of Nyeko Okongu. Is a prospect. And okay. Blazers fans might not love to hear that. No, I, look, I'm a USC guy, so. Okay. <laughs> was the number six overall pick a couple of years ago. Got stuck behind Clint Capella in uh, Atlanta, but he's looked pretty good in my opinion yeah. when he has had the opportunity. Also another center is a couple ticks shorter than you would like, ideally, probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the reason I like Takangu is because I thought he could play all different types of pick and roll coverage. And I do see the same thing for Dirk. Uh, just my evaluation of it, but I think he's going to be a guy who, as he continues to master the tricks defensively, and let's just say steep learning curve for an NBA center defensively. Like it's a, it's a harder position to play in the NBA right now defensively. A lot of damn stuff to process yeah. at all times. But 
I think he's got the the mix of skills where it's not like, okay, he can only play drop. I don't believe that. I think he's going to be able to play at the level of the screen. I think he's going to be able to switch some. And, you know, when he was coming into Memphis, you heard a lot of Bam Adebayo comparisons. Now, the Bam Adebayo we see today on the Heat was certainly not the Bam we saw at Kentucky. No. You blame John Calipari for that. You could just blame, you know, or credit, I guess, Bam's individual development. Uh, but I do think that there could be something to that with Duran where I think he's coverage versatile. And then, so that's just the defense. Yes. I think, you know, if you're evaluating a center prospect, defense probably more important than yeah. offense. You'd rather, you'd probably rather have your center be stronger defensively than offensively. Okay. But then the offensive side. So right off the bat, not a threat to stretch the floor. Yeah. Uh, you're playing him in sort of a traditional lob threat, rim runner type role. Uh, your Capella, and- DeAndre Jordan. Go bear yeah, types. Exactly. Uh Whiteside was in Portland for a bit, right? I was gonna bring up Whiteside. Yeah, you know? that was yeah, yeah. that was a not, thing. not a good one, but yeah, so I think that's like the type of center. He's, sure. Right? He's not gonna be a stretch five. But where can he add value on offense? Okay. Lob target. He's just a monster physically. He's I mean, Calvin he's Johnson a, with a catch radius. He, he's a physical do you say yeah. Calvin Johnson yeah. with a catch radius? I yeah. love that. Got it. Physical marvel. So you're gonna be able to throw that lob to him anywhere. And he's going to be able to go up and get it, hammer it home, young legs, run and jump all day, baby. I think Mm. that that's, you know, his physicality is really the basis of his value. Because I think physically, he's dope, for sure. He's a couple (laughs) inches shorter than you want, but physically, he He makes up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like his short roll passing. Uh, You know, his passing numbers weren't amazing. I think 10% assist rate with a 21% turnover rate this but year. But his decision making, that's the as I say with the micro skill, that's the thing that, that popped out to me that I that I did like. Short role playmaking. Yeah. I think, you know, you can't expect him to be Draymond right off the bat. And obviously no. Draymond sets the bar impossibly high. But I do think that, you know, when you got Damian Lillard, he's gonna see some traps. And if you got Jalen Duran setting a screen for Damian Lillard, the defense traps Lillard Lillard could kick the ball to Duran. Now you got Duran running a three on four break. I believe that you are going to be able to trust him to effectively make decisions and put pressure on the defense uh, while running that break. My first question is like, okay, how's he going to score? Well, he's going to try to dunk on your head first and foremost. And, you know, you got to be a brave, brave man to take a charge from Jalen Duran, especially when he's going to be 18, 19. I say, especially when he's 22 and he's about 270. Well, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, he's young. He's going to be able to continue to add muscle to that frame. So I think, you know, in addition to a lob threat, he's also just going to be able to be pretty good on the short roll, uh, putting pressure on the rim as a dunker. I believe he's going to be able to make the correct passing reads. He has some really, really good passing highlights Mm -hmm. in Memphis in the short roll. There weren't a ton of them. I don't know if it's like a bankable skill, but man, I just call it the flash plays. The flash plays with Duran is a short role playmaker. Super enticing. Uh, so that's sort of why I have him high. I love his physicality. Like if I'm going to draft a young guy, give me someone who's going to dominate physically. Which and- is something the Blazers are, are prioritizing because they've, they, they've lost that with the, the, the previous iterations of the roster were the least athletic and the least physically dominant. They, they, they leaned on Yusuf Nurkic to be all of that for them. Yeah. And they, they need more of that physicality. They need that more presence. They need more athleticism. And then that's kind of the way they're going. Cause you look at, at, at Damon Ant that those are, they're both explosive guys, particularly Anthony Simons is a slam dunk champion hearts, uh, you know, a strong, durable, explosive guy. Winslow's undersized, but strong as a truck. 
there's those are the things that they're, they're trying. I mean, if you look at the, the rumors of them, like obviously wanting to add Jeremy Grant, that's a, another longer, more explosive athlete. Is he the most dynamic guy in the league? No, but is he more explosive than what they have had in the past yeah. seven years? I mean, Jeremy Grant's seven three wingspan guy, good athlete, yes, strong, yeah, significantly more than what they've had on the roster in the past. Um, I, I'm glad you went down this road with, with Duran because I have my questions about him, and I, I don't, I don't. Looking at him, I, I can see where he bottoms out, you know, quote unquote, and basically is just like DeAndre Jordan, where a good player, but is that what Portland needs right now? Particularly when they're they're the likelihood is there's a 99% chance unless something goes completely sideways that they're going to bring back Yusuf Nurkic, and that doesn't really address their need right away. But it does give them a backup center on a rookie scale deal, which. If they don't do that, they're probably looking at using some or all of their MLE on a backup center anyways because you can't entirely rely on Yusuf Nurkic to play 82 games in a season. So, Duran is an option there. Obviously, the dark horse candidate in all of this is Shaden Sharp. There's not a whole lot of tape on him. There's a whole lot of smoke around him. When you have seen, what is it? Was it Peach Jam was the last time he played publicly? I think so. When you look at Shaden... Do you see him as more as a two or a three, or is he kind of a hybrid two-three as he grows into the NBA? Well, the first thing is, what's he going to measure at, right? Like you'll see, is he six-four or six-six? Right, exactly. So he was at UIBL uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago in Mm -hmm. Indy, and I got a buddy who was there, and my buddy's six-four, and he texted me, "Shaden's here," and I'm as tall as Shaden is, so. We'll see how big Shaden is, but Shaden's long too. Shaden's yes. seven foot wingspan. You know, six, let's put him six, six to six, four. Classic sort of two, three measurements. Uh, I think his game is definitely more a two. Like he's a guard. Sure. More so than a wing uh, to me. You know, he, again, another guy who I have him in that tier two because he has the youth. He's got the physical tools. It's tough to evaluate him without seeing him play any college ball. I did see him play in the EYBL a couple of times. He was a guy who stock skyrocketed, right? Like a year before he was the number one prospect in the country. You know, he wasn't one of these guys who was number one the whole way through high school. He was like in the fifties. So basically he transferred, I think after his freshman year from Ontario to I believe he was playing at Sunrise Christian Academy in mm-hmm. Kansas, put himself on the map as like a four-star. Then I believe he transferred somewhere in Arizona and then kind of became like a five-star when he was on the EYBL. So like overview of his game, you know, you got, we'll call him six, five wing, seven foot wingspan, very good athlete. Is he on the Anthony Edwards, Jalen Green level? Mm-hmm. You know, these are the type of degrees to things that really matter. Is he, you know, a step below Jalen Green? Or is he as sick athletically as Jalen Green is? And I'm even going to put Anthony Edwards' athleticism a step ahead of Jalen Green just because he's built like an outside linebacker. Yes. Uh, There was the video of him. He did post the the 49-inch vertical a couple days ago. Jaden did, yeah. I saw that. (laughs) So, you know, where is Jaden athletically? And then, like, you know, there's – there's 49 inch vertical athleticism and then there's functional athleticism. Like sure. How well can you play through contact? What is your short space? Is he an off one or off two guy? The agility, run yeah. up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the thing that I really worry with Shaden, or not worry, but like what I think is going to be the big swing probably is just his decision making. Mm-hmm. Cause that's sort of the hardest thing to evaluate. Like he, 
became the number one player in his class and a guy who's going to be a lottery pick, top 10 pick in this draft without ever playing college ball because he went on some crazy scoring binges on the EYBL. And when you take that in combination with his size, his athleticism, his youth, you say, okay, that's the top player in the class. It's a wing with a seven foot wingspan who can shoot threes off the dribble. When they go in, he looks awesome. I worry about the offensive process. Mm -hmm. And that's where like, you know, you come back to the athleticism. Can he consistently generate paint touches? Okay. If not, like, is he going to be able to be, you know, is a shooter? He looks like a good shooter. Mm -hmm. That's always very difficult to evaluate as a high school kid. Okay. Is he going to be a 36% shooter on what volume? Is he going to be a 39% shooter on what volume? So these are just sort of the questions to ask with Shaden. To me, Shaden at seven, or six, or wherever you want to put him, uh, is more like doubting Johnny Davis and Ben Matherin and Keegan and just being like, well, those guys are solid, but I'm not sure if they really have the upside that someone like Shaden Sharp has. So I'd rather go with the wild card, the lottery ticket, and just betting on him is sort of a piece of moldable clay that you think can develop. So... You know, the Blazers have had a small backcourt for a long time. Uh, if Simons is the starting two alongside Lillard, mm-hmm. like they would still have a small backcourt, right? Yep. Like Simons is a little bit bigger than he, CJ was. Yeah, you, but he's Dame 6'1 and 6'4. Yeah. Uh, so to me, like Shaden would give you a lot of size and length in the backcourt if they were to take him. You probably play the three of those guys together a little bit. I think, you know, defensively, Shaden's going to have a sharp learning curve early in his career. It's also impossible to evaluate defense in the EYBL. I've been to EYBL live a bunch. Like, you're not learning anything no. defensively from watching the EYBL. Uh, and he, he does have a lot of questions to me. I'm not going to sit here and give you, like, a rock-solid, lock-it-in, Shaden Sharp evaluation. But I think that he has enough intriguing about him Flash plays all over his high school tape. The length, very, very, when very he pops, he he pops absolutely. And then you know, pull up shooting ability, which he was really getting into, like some of these Jordan Poole level stepbacks when he was playing on the EYBL. You see a seventeen-year-old do that, and you're like, oh shit! Like this guy yes. doesn't need to play college basketball to be a top eight draft pick. So, wild card pick, man, lottery ticket, <laughs> go for the home run. Uh, Someone like Matherin or Davis would be safer if you're looking for like a guard or wing. Mm-hmm. But if it's me, give me Shaden. I don't know. It's just an upside pick. It's more fun. And listen, if Shaden measures out at six five plus, then you've you've got. I'm with you for the Blazers if that's if that's a position they find themselves in because you like you said you don't typically find those skill sets um, in a guy that young who flashes those things even if he's not ready. The Blazers are, are, are essentially living in two timelines, which is the Damian Lillard timeline and then what is essentially going to be whatever this draft pick is and Anthony Simons. It's, it's two different versions of the team happening at the same time. And if the post-Dame era turns into Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp as your one-two and you've got two incredibly explosive, dynamic shot creators who can score on all three levels, I think you're in a pretty good spot going forward. Um the next group of guys that you have, and this is where I, I, I find it really interesting, uh, you've got Matherin, Murray, and Eason. 
one, you've got Matherin about where I've got him. And I, I'm a big Matherin guy as far as like being able to contribute right away. I think he ticks a lot of boxes. And he's a guy who you really could add to a team. And I think he plays significant minutes. Like if you told me Ben Matherin was playing 18 to 22 minutes for teams in the NBA after at the end of his rookie year, I wouldn't be surprised. Where you did catch me, number one, was with uh, Eason uh, up at 10. But Murray, you've got a little bit lower uh, here at nine. And again, you, we've kind of gone over this as far as like, you're not necessarily knocking him, but you're looking more for the upside guys. Murray is a name that I've heard around Portland a ton because he does address a ton of needs. Number one, his size and his position skill set. That's Portland has, again, not had anybody to replace the Marcus Aldridge. Keegan Murray, day one on paper, can do more than every player that they have had at that position since the Marcus Aldridge left. And I don't mean that as a slight to any of the other guys. They just haven't been it. They, they, they just can't be that guy. And when I look at Murray, I go, he can shoot from all three levels. He can score on every level. He can create. He can put the ball on the floor. He's a capable defender. He's not great in space, but he's switchable enough. He just ticks. And like When I look at Murray, I go, again, that's a safe pick. Again, the ceiling may not be there, but that, again, is a, a very good player who you're you're not – at the top of the draft, you're trying to find holes. When you look at Keegan Murray, I don't think you're finding holes in his game as much as you're limiting his ceiling. When you look at Murray, what is it? What, what is your overall scouting report? And in, and in particular, how do you kind of frame him as far as how he would fit uh, here in Portland right out of the gate? Yeah, so I think he's got size and skill. Again, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, Wingspan, I think probably 7'1". Seven seven mm-hmm. I don't have it off the top of my head. Good frame, 225, 230, probably going to be able to continue to add muscle to that frame. It's going to be a big four. There's no doubt about it. Not totally sure if he's someone who you're going to be able to swing up to the five. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think as a four, you know, what he's going to bring is shooting, first and foremost. You look at, you know, his two seasons at Iowa, really, I mean, you could throw out his freshman season. This past year, 40% on high volume. Everyone knew that – you know, he was Iowa's biggest offensive threat. He was the focal point on every opposing game plan. And especially the last 15, 20 games of the year, Keegan Murray was probably the best player in college basketball. He was just absolutely freaking unstoppable. He's 30 and 12, I think is what he was po- putting up with the top of the game plan every night. He can handle the ball very well for a player that size. He can shoot the ball very well for a player that size. So I think size and skill, that's what you get with him. I worry a little bit about the athleticism. Mm-hmm. I watch him and I'm not like, this guy is a super high level NBA athlete. He's not the type of guy who's going to throw down a dunk on your head. I don't think he's the type of defensive player who's going to like catch a weak side block, but he had very good shot blocking numbers at Iowa. To me, he's more of like an instinctual positional defender. I think he'll make smart rotations. I think he's the sort of guy I like to, for front court defenders, I like to put him in two buckets. Like Mm. you're like a guy who can execute the scheme or you're a guy who can clean up mistakes. Mm -hmm. To me, he's a guy who can execute the scheme more so than like, okay, Lillard just fucked up, sorry, screwed up defensively. You're fine. Trust me. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to come and wipe away that mistake. Yeah. So Chet Chet is a guy who can wipe away mistakes. Right. For sure. So I worry a little bit about him defensively and athletically. I do think he's pretty good in the passing lanes. And, you know, like looking at this, if we're like breaking down that board or like those guys you just named, it was what? Mm-hmm. Matherin, Murray, Murray and Eason. And Eason. Okay, I'm thinking like Matherin, 
watching these playoffs when it just becomes so much about hunting, mm-hmm. like Matherin might have a target on his chest. Mm-hmm. I don't think Murray's not going to have a target on his chest. I don't know if he's going to be a great defensive player. When you're looking at I the team be, sheet, you're going, ah, we got better options to attack. Yeah, I'm, I might be underrating his defense even a little bit, but I don't think he's an elite athlete. And defensively, I think he's more like solid than very good. So that's just my two cents on it. Reasonable minds can disagree, but I think he'll be like, you know, a solid B on defense, B, B minus, you know, he'll be good. He'll be above mm-hmm. average defense. And then offense, you know, hopefully he's a super high volume three point shooter. And like when he's not the focal point of a game plan, you can just let him go bombs away from three and he can give you some transition scoring. He was basically, he built his statistical profile, which rocketed him up draft boards early in the season, scoring a lot in transition. Mm-hmm. I was a little skeptical of that. I'm like, well, he's not going to be able to get all these. Surely he's not going to get these transition buckets in the Big Ten when we're playing in the mud and climbing yeah. up hills in the winter. And instead he's grabbing and going himself when you're going. And okay. he was he was killing it. He <laughs> yeah. was killing it. So it's possible I'm underrating Murray a little bit. What I think we had him nine on that board. So that's probably like a tad lower than the consensus. Yeah, you've got, you've got him nine. And again, I, I, I'm not like crucifying you. I just yeah. – I, I like to know the process. The yeah. results, th- this is not an exact science, but I like course, to know yeah. where, where the process is of where guys have are evaluating guys. And um, I didn't want to go into Eason real quick because I, w- I want to frame Eason with um, uh, Sohan. Uh, those two guys for me, yeah. their defensive profiles, their size, their ability to blow plays up, but they're vastly different players and how they go about things. What is it about... Eason and so on that you look at when you're when you're projecting those guys and profiling those go, those guys that you makes you either like one guy over another or just have a, a feel about it. What is it that made you go with Eason over so on in this one? Yeah, so it's a good question. I definitely want to watch more of those guys. I did watch quite a bit of LSU during mm-hmm. the season of Baylor too, but. I, I do want to go back and like make sure my evaluations of those guys are a little more solid. But Eason, what stands out to me is just the combination of size, touch, and motor. I was just going to say, if you bring the motor up, because it's insane. <laughs> I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe Eason had more dunks in this class than anyone else. He dunks the shit out of the ball constantly. As soon as he gets the ball, he's like, I hate this ball. I'm slamming it through the rim as hard as I can. <laughs> So just his ability to aggressively attack the rim, to play all out 24-7 for every single second he's on the floor, and then, you know, 80% three po- or free throw shooter this year. Uh, the projection this, behind that is... Is promising, you yeah. hope. And then his three-point was 36%, low-ish volume. You know, if he can do that in the NBA, 36% on two a game, two and a half a game. That's I think that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. And to me, he's probably a top 10 pick out of that. Uh, I think what you've seen in the playoffs is a little bit more leaning into just like pure size mm-hmm. bucks going with the Giannis, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez lineup Celtics, which is just dumb, which is just huge, yeah. right? Celtics. We're, we're seeing Horford, uh, time Lord lineups, Horford, time Lord. And then you got, the, J- the Jays and smart six, six seven, you yeah. know, like they're big too. So he's just big. I think I don't mm-hmm. have a wingspan off the top of my head for him. Do you Eason? Uh, I do have it on the chart, but I got me search the Google sheet. 
but like big, long forward, good shooting touch. Yeah, he, he's six eight with a seven one, so he's super, yeah, super high motor. I think he's like a three four forward. Obviously, the swing skill for him will just be his spot up shooting ability. You want to make sure that he's someone who defenses aren't ignoring on the perimeter. But you know, defensively, talk about coverage versatility. Like if you got Terry Blitz in a pick and roll. I think like if I'm a ball handler, I'm freaking out and I'm like throwing up and puking all over the floor because Eason is coming at me a thousand miles an hour, ready to steal the ball and dunk it on my head. So I think like his ability to like play on the perimeter defensively, I think he's going to be very good on switches, but more importantly on like blitzes and on hedges and like all these other ways you could sort of utilize his quick feet on the perimeter. I think he's just generally got a nose for the ball. And I like an 80% free throw shooter. So I oh. like Easton. Want to watch him a little bit more, but uh, that's sort of what I think about him now. I want to throw this comp out to you. I look at Tori Easton, and I think if everything goes well, I think of OG Ananobi on crack. Just pinned to the wall, just a, an absolute wrecking. Because OG at, at Indiana before the knee injury was a disaster of worlds defensively. He, he was a world ender, and that was, I go back to that 2017 draft, which is hell here in Portland, <laughs> but OG was a guy that I profiled, like, this is a guy who's an absolute wrecking ball, who can just blow up entire schemes regularly. When you look at Eason, do you, do you see that same kind of skill set or potential in him? So I don't have a good comp for you. My response to that comp is I always viewed Ananobi as more of a perimeter player like mm. more of a true wing whereas Eason I think is a little bit Front more board. of a forward okay yeah I don't have a super good comp for you off the top of my head I'll think about that I'll get back to you no no it's, it's what it's just what that was the feeling that I got from him yeah. to, to kind of give you like the, the, the way that I always look at this and I don't like comparing guys directly I like to compare styles more than anything else like when I watch Mark Williams at Duke he reminded me a ton of Greg Oden and not with his impact, but with a guy that big with such a monstrous wingspan who got down low in his stance, significantly lower than almost every big in college basketball and was able to glide and cover space in a way that I had not seen since Odin. And even though Mark Williams is not that level of player, stylistically, he kind of reminded me of just kind of how he moved. And when I look at Eason, I, I look at him or he's just – OG, when he came out, I think because of the knee injury, a lot of people were scared away. When I look at Easton, I, I see kind of the same thing where it's relentless just bulldoggedness. And for anybody who hasn't watched Easton or watched that LSU team, um, they're insane. They, they, what they, they they struggle with with some other things, but effort is not one of them. And that there's a reason. I want to say it was their head coach said the reason they didn't start Easton was because they were afraid he was basically going to blow up that he was going to burn out because he played with too much energy. So they, they brought him off. The Led bench. the team in scoring off the bench, I believe. Yeah, which is just insane. That doesn't happen in college basketball. Um, but when you look at a guy like Sohan, what, what is the difference you see between those two guys that, or, or that makes you lean Eason over Sohan? Yeah, very good question. Okay, I'm going to say Sohan more just like general ground coverage. Sohan will make rotations where he's guarding like three four guys and one play and you're just like this guy is ridiculous like I don't think he is quite as much of like the I'm gonna rip the ball away from you as Eason does but 
great ground coverage for Sohan, great versatility. I would say he probably has more versatility a little bit than Eason. Uh, and, you know, tremendous defensive player, certainly. I would give Eason the edge as a shooter right now. Uh, Sohan, 59% from free throw range. He could not make a free throw this year. I think that that is a pretty glaring red flag. He did knock in 24 threes and 81 attempts, but... I think he's like 29% uh, from three is about what he was. Yeah. So it's not like he didn't make any threes. Yeah. He, made, he made a decent, you know, almost one a game, probably. He, he was uh, Dylan probably. Brooks from three. Yeah, a little less than one a game from three. So uh, I love Sohan's just like ground coverage and versatility defensively. I think he's going to be able to uh, take on a wide variety of assignments. I think that, you know, when you talk about NBA defense being like on-ball defense versus help defense, I think Sohan's help defense is just going to be totally killer. I think he's someone who's going to be able to like pre-rotate, get back to his assignment, just like blow plays up even before they happen. Uh, great frame to 6'9", 230. Offensively, I think he's got a ways to go, mm-hmm. but he's 18, 19. So I think that, uh, you know, the acceleration curve for him could be pretty high because he was someone coming into the year, like no one expected him to be a one and done. And then now we're talking about him as a possible one and done lottery pick. So uh, he's very good. I would say like, the higher defensive ceiling is probably on Sohan, but I feel like overall I prefer Eason because I feel like he's got a little bit more offensive juice. I like it. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this because you've been kind with your time. I know you're not feeling well. Let's let's shift a little bit. I'm going to make you GM or president for the day here. You were you were Joe Cronin for the Trailblazers. And you've just gotten the top four pick. Uh, one, two, three, four, doesn't matter. You've got a top four pick. You've got real ammo, and the Portland Trailblazers are in a unique position where they need to add talent to this team. You have your pick of any of those four guys that you want. Let's just say you get the number one. If Toronto calls you and says, we will offer you OG Ananobi for that pick, would you take it? Probably not. Okay. And I think it's, you know, it's a it's a good offer. Um Ananobi's excellent. How old is Ananobi now? Is he 24. 24? He'll be 24 next or 25 next year. Yeah. So he'll be 20. He'll be 25 in July. Mm-hmm. Um, OG is very good to me though. I guess like the question is like, what are you aiming for? Are you aiming? They to want to compete now. Like not give Lillard the best chance possible to win as much as possible mm-hmm. while he's in a Portland uniform. Is that the main goal? Uh, yeah. OG is good. So I would I would consider that, but I would probably pass on it. I'd probably just yeah. rather go for the higher upside. Sure. Uh, and I think that for as much as I've always liked OG, I think the top three in this class specifically just offer a little bit more upside, a little bit more unknown. And like maybe what OG does well, you can get like 80% of that. Hope I mean, it's hard, obviously. Out on the market in some other fashion. Find that in the, in the market, yeah somewhere else okay now let's let's push this one a step further that same uh scenario is at play and robert sarver cheaps out and he says we'll give you a sign and trade with deandre aiden you send yusuf nurkic in your first round pick to us because you're not going to have the money to pay yusuf nurkic and he's not going to back you up what do you say to that yeah very <laughs> tough. tough very tough uh 
Aiden is just in such a perfect situation in Phoenix that I think it makes it a little bit difficult to evaluate him moving forward to say, like, what does he look like in other team contexts? I think mm-hmm. he's perfect for Phoenix playing off Chris Paul. Um, man, that is really difficult. Would I trade? You know, if it's four, probably. Mm-hmm. I'd probably do that. If it's one or two, it gets a little dicier for you. Yeah, I think so. Tough question, though, man. I would probably not make that trade, and I would just roll with – let's roll with the top of the draft. Let's see what we can do. And, yeah, that I mean – That one gets more interesting for me because DeAndre's only 22, even though he's going to get a max deal. And you're not awesome. going to get that value out of it. You're probably looking at a 2010-2 guy for the rest of his career. Yeah. which I mean, he can be a Hall of Famer. I'm, you know? real, realistically, I think that's a – that he's shooting down that path pretty well. Um, we'll get you out of here on this last one. You're a Chicago guy. Uh, obviously, Chicago remade their team, and a big part of that was AK and uh, Mark Eversley. And when you look at, at the impact that they had in the offseason for Chicago, bringing guys in, overhauling the roster, getting getting young Reinsdorf to open up the wallet, uh, changing some of the cultural stuff around the Bulls and actually becoming a destination. When you look at a guy like Mark Eversley, who has been linked to Portland a ton, how impactful of a hiring do you think that was for Chicago? Yeah, I thought Mark Eversley was awesome. And, you know, it's sort of tough to, like, dice up like who gets credit for mm-hmm. what when you're talking about sort of a two-headed monster in terms of front office for team building but i think eversley's strengths are just his relationships with players i think that he was a big key in bringing demar Derozan into chicago i think the 85 million dollars probably had something to do with it too and i don't think and DeMar getting spurned by the lakers yeah demar and you know if he was going to the lakers he wasn't getting 85 million Ooh. so that the money talks need to note that but he, uh, Eversley, is like a guy who just has a ton of relationships with players. And I think while like Karnaschovas for the Bulls comes off as sort of like cold and calculating, Eversley is like the flip side of that, where he's like the relationships guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all of us nerds doing this, all we all love our numbers, we all love our analytics. Mm-hmm. But like the older I get, like what's more important, the relationships and the numbers, like you really need them both. Uh, and the relationships are certainly a huge part of it. So I think if Portland was to get Eversley, my first reaction as a Bulls fan would be, damn it, I wish he would stay in Chicago. <laughs> then I would immediately go to, actually, that's dope. I'm super happy for him because it's a bigger and better opportunity than he has with the Bulls. And I would just be really excited to see what he could do. So I think like if you're getting Eversley, you would hope it is for his relationships with mm-hmm. you know veteran players. And you come in and you stack the deck around Dame and you build one more great Dame team. Uh, So, yeah, I have not a single bad thing I could possibly say about Mark Eversley. Everything that went on with the Bulls this year. Well, first of all, it's tough to say, like, you know, which who gets credit for which move. Sure. But the, the general cultural shift, he was a part of that. Yeah. Cool guy. Seems like a cool dude. Seems like he brings like cachet to the position. Uh, and is a guy that maybe people want to play for. So, Which, again, if you're talking about trying to build something in Damian Lillard's prime, getting a guy who's a longtime Nike guy who um, has a ringing endorsement from DeMar DeRozan, who's one of Damian Lillard's best friends, uh, and pairing him with Joe Cronin, who for all intents and purposes seems to be and looked around the league as a guy who very much understands and executes along the CBA, it seems like you're pairing the nerd with the guy who gets along with everybody else in the class and kind of repeating what Chicago did and hoping – 
to lure guys either via trade or via forcing their way out, whether that's a good or a bad thing, uh, to Portland. Um, but hey, Ricky, we'll get you out of here on that, though, man. I appreciate you. I know you're not feeling well. Uh, go ahead and plug anything you're working on, uh, anything you've got coming up, and, and uh, we'll get you out of here. Yeah. You can find all my coverage at SBNation.com, mostly writing about the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft. Uh, and then I'll, I'll have some college hoops and high school hoop stuff moving forward too after those. Nice. So uh, find it all at SBNation.com. All right, man. Uh, thanks again for joining us. You can find him on social media at, or me, on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. Uh, Brandon and I will be back on Sunday for the live show. Uh, I will strangle him and drag him his dead body and post it there for everybody uh, if he doesn't. So uh, for that, again, thank you, Ricky. We appreciate you. If you guys are watching here live on YouTube, you haven't already subscribed to the channel. We're well over 3,000. We're on our way to 4,000. Uh, again, if you're watching live or recorded either way, it's free. It's easy. Help us beat the almighty algorithm. Subscribe. We can find us wherever you get podcasts. Download, like, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, I'm Danny Morang for Ricky. We will catch you guys on Sunday. Brandon will be back. Until then, thank you all. Take care. Have a wonderful night. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.